Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com. And every Thursday, I like to hit the airwaves and YouTube and talk about how we can make marriage awesome. And I am joined here today by my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. We had a fun interview that we are about to break to where we talked about how you can best prepare for childbirth. Yes. Because June is pelvic floor month. It is. On the blog, because we all have pelvic floors. And and by the way, men have pelvic floors too. So That's even if you're right. listening, you know, this particular stuff about birthing children may not apply <laughs> to you. But And pelvic floors are important if you want to enjoy sex and if you don't want to pee on everything. Yes. Which or, most of us don't. And you don't want stuff falling out that isn't supposed to fall yes, out. Yes, just everything staying where it should be yes. and <laughs> being eliminated when it should be, all of that kind yes. of stuff. So we had a great talk with Jen Reedy, who is a childbirth educator and has some awesome courses on childbirth, and we're going to join her for the first part of this podcast. Well, we have a wonderful guest on the Bear Marriage Podcast today. We have Jen Reedy, who has been reading this blog for years. She's yeah. part of our launch team. I just love interacting with her on Facebook. But in the middle of all that, I realized that she has some pretty cool stuff she can share with us. Jen is a childbirth educator from Allentown, Pennsylvania. And thank you for coming on, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm just so super excited to be on here. I never thought this was an opportunity I'd have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just love getting to know people who read us a little bit better because there's so much expertise like on that side of the computer, not just on this side. So um, better together. Yeah, exactly. So one of our big passions for obvious reasons, maybe you want to share. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm pregnant from my second kid now. I don't think we've actually announced that announcement. We, well, we haven't announced, this was the announcement. This this has been up here for a couple of weeks, but no one's commented on it yet. This little ultrasound picture, so we weren't sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm about, I'm about 14, 15 weeks along. So. Cool. And as people who have read The Great Tech Rescue or have just read the blog uh, for the last little bit know, I had an incredibly terrible first childbirth experience, despite having done everything, you know, by the book with my midwives and uh, all these classes and stuff like that. So we actually are, are speaking about this with people on staff who have <laughs> a lot of firsthand experience of how, how bad it can, it can be to recover from these things. Yes. Um, but also I've learned, which is why we really also want to talk to Jen today. And we're excited to talk to you is that you can recover there are things you can do to make these things better or worse. And a lot of the fear around pregnancy and childbirth for a lot of women is because of a lack of education. It's because we just don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like how many of us actually understand what it means if you do tear, like what, what's the mm-hmm. prognosis with that? What does mm-hmm. that lead to later? Like we, we just hear about this as a scary thing and, and we don't actually know what it yes. means. And I think if we, uh, if we take away some of the mystery Mm-hmm. We take away a lot of the anxiety and we Absolutely. actually get better outcomes mm-hmm. <laughs> and we get better recovery outcomes if we have an outcome we don't want. So tell us what a childbirth educator does. Yes. So I teach childbirth classes. I've been teaching childbirth classes for 20 years. I also am a birth doula, which gives me the experience as a birth doula. I'm supporting women and their partners emotionally and physically. I'm not doing anything medical. So I'm kind of the person that's there that's not poking and prodding them. Because your emotions are so tied up with your physical being. But mm-hmm. having that bounce back and forth between childbirth educator and doula, I can see what's happening in the local hospitals and then bring that into my childbirth classes. And sometimes I'm able to see things that even the labor and delivery nurses and the doctors aren't seeing because. They have to be so focused on the clinical aspect and the charting on their computers. And, you know, I, I, my heart goes out sometimes to the labor and delivery nurses who get into labor and delivery because they want to be helping women at the bedside, but then that ends up not being what most of their job is. So what is it that you, like, what are some of the things that you teach women when they're pregnant, they can help them understand pregnancy better and childbirth better. What do you think are the key things women need to know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to reframe your question a little bit, actually, because I think one of the things that is really important is that the childbirth classes sometimes are even more for the partner, the husband, mm-hmm. than they are for the woman, because the woman is going out there and researching all kinds of stuff. Now for the childbirth classes kind of helps give a focused path and 
If you don't know what you need to learn, you may miss learning key things. But the dads are not doing that. So it gives them a time because they're going to need to be able to support their partner in the birth. If they haven't learned about it, she is in the middle of labor and her brain is not functioning on the same level that she would normally function at. So she can't tell him always what it is she needs. And sometimes she does tell him, but it's in a way that he's not expecting her and he needs to be prepared for that. He needs to be prepared for how she might act in labor. So in addition to all that stuff with the partner being able to support the mom in a good childbirth class, which is typically an independent class, it's not typically going to be the class taught at the hospital. They're going to teach techniques that have been shown to reduce the risk of cesarean, reduce the risk of having an emotionally traumatic birth which is all going to go into having better sex afterwards, better recovery. Now, as you found, sometimes you can do everything right and still have a bad birth. So that's a really important thing for women to acknowledge and not blame themselves for. Yeah. Like you can wear a seatbelt. Everyone in the car can wearing a seatbelt. And sometimes you just still get in a car accident, you know, but it's at least you're wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> and, and I will also say too, Everything right is different for different women. I am not a person who believes that every woman must have an unmedicated birth to do it right. Because as I said, when I was talking to you ladies earlier, your emotions are tied up with your physical experience. So for some women, having an epidural is very important to their emotional experience and it can actually help them to labor better. Yeah. And, and just because I know that for a lot of women who are pregnant, there's a lot of kind of stigma around medicalized births. And there's a lot of women Mm -hmm. in my experience who had an unwanted natural delivery Mm -hmm. on their first time. And so this time, my first thing I said to my midwives, like, when am I getting my epidural? And can we make sure it's going to happen this time? Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing on my birth plan Mm -hmm. at this point. Cause it's like, I know for myself, I will have panic attacks if I feel like I'm not going to be able to get the help that I want again, because that was my Mm -hmm. experience last time. So I love that you're saying like when we're talking these kinds of things, you know, we have a lot of fear because a lot of us go into it and we're like, you know, sex is great. And then what if this ruins everything? I think that that is a big fear for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you are allowed, especially if you're a first time mom and you're listening, you don't have to have an Instagram perfect birth. It has to be one that works for you and for your partner and for your mental state. And I've known women that a planned cesarean was the right choice for them. So when I say that, you know, good childbirth classes can reduce the risk of cesarean, can reduce the risk of a traumatic birth, what is a traumatic birth? For some people, that unmedicated birth is a traumatic birth. For some people, any vaginal birth um, is traumatic. So that's an important thing about childbirth classes is women being able to learn what their values are about birth and what the pros and cons are so that they can make the decisions that are right for them. I think that is really the most important thing in a good childhood class is not being told what choices to make, but being given information so that they can make informed choices that are right for them. And then that will help them recover. Right. So I know before we started recording, you were also talking about um, sex during pregnancy because you get asked about that a lot. So since we're like the sex place, (laughs) have any thoughts on that that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, that's something that a lot of people have questions about and what is normal and what is safe for the baby. And, you know, some women will have a drop in their libido and some women will have an increase in their libido. It's very common to have a drop in libido in the first trimester as you're struggling with nausea and tiredness. But then sometimes in the second trimester, you see the libido go up as you have more energy. But some women will have a low libido the whole time. Um, Third trimester, again, you're getting tired from the increased weight gain, the increased stress on your body. And I think it's really important for partners to be sensitive to that. And you've touched on that a lot on your blog about how, you know, she's feeling uncomfortable. Sometimes sex can be uncomfortable. And so the guy may need to accept that he's going to have a little bit less, Uh, maybe completely none. Okay. Maybe just because of her discomfort, her nausea, but she could also be struggling with preterm labor and get a restriction on pelvic floor activity. Now, 
on that, I do recommend women whose doctors put them on, they'll say pelvic rest. Uh, clarify what exactly that means. Because for some women, that just means no intercourse. For some, it means no orgasm. So, I mean, I did, I, it was the funniest thing. I had a client one time who was a minister's wife and she had been put on pelvic rest. And after about three weeks, she calls me up and she's like, Jen, this is getting really old. I really want to. And I'm like, call your doctor up and find out exactly what your restrictions are. And it turned out that she could still orgasm. She just couldn't have the pressure of a guy on top. So she was able to still enjoy her sex life. She just needed to know what the restrictions are. People just don't know that they can ask those questions or their doctor visits are so quick that they don't get a chance to think about them. So that can be another good thing about having an independent childbirth educator that you have more access to. Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry when you were saying that for some women, it's sex that they can't have like no sexual activity. Mm -hmm. And for some it's, it's it's honestly like an orgasm is what you can't do. So you Uh can't do anything. And I'm just, there are so many jokes you can make about that, about how, huh, can't have an orgasm. Well, we can do everything then because there's all these, (laughs) 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 you know, (laughs) I'm just thinking about all the, all the women we talk to where it's like, he refused to make any pleasure priority. It's like, yeah, it's like, no, like (laughs) if you are not orgasm, orgasming and you're not supposed to have sex that's not an excuse to still you have to still take care of him no like (laughs) take care of yourself yeah no I mean if you're nauseous or you're just (laughs) and as you guys have said before you're not saying that a woman can't give a gift if she wants to give a gift you're saying that a gift should be freely given and given in joy not out of a sense of obligation yeah. And he can give a massage too, right? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So true. So, so even if she can't be sexual, you know, maybe she wants to give a gift that way. And then he wants to just rub her back, rub her lower back, rub, you know, and just her help feet, her feel relaxed. Her legs, These are all just got swelling. Yeah. These are all good things. So do you help women after childbirth recover? So I help in terms of teaching women things that they can do. I'm also a postpartum doula. So sometimes that gets into helping women. Is the childbirth education end of it, what do you talk about? First of all, we expect way too much of women postpartum. And if we would really acknowledge what the recovery needs of women were, they could recover a lot better. So I make really sure to stress that You have the best birth in the world. Everything goes wonderful. You only have mild tearing. Okay, so your expectations with that are for the first two weeks, the mom is not doing anything as far as housework, not cooking anything. Um, My preference would be that she stays in comfy pajamas all day. I say, buy yourself a nice new robe and hang it by your front door. And if guests show up and you have regular (laughs) clothes on, you put that robe over top of your clothes so that they get the message that you are not the hostess. You let them in, you sit down. I also say, um, make a to-do list and put it on your fridge and, you know, say it's Sheila's to-do list on the list. And you have a friend come over and says, what can I do to help? You say, well, my to-do list is on the fridge (laughs) and they can go pick something. Okay. You never intended to do that stuff. That was the stuff that you decided other people could do. So some people are not comfortable with their friends holding their underwear. Some are just fine with that. So you put the stuff you're comfortable with other people doing. So that's the first two weeks. You know, you're not even making your own sandwich for lunch. Somebody else is bringing it to you. Weeks three and four, you can add one light household task. So that might be making your own lunch. It is not making a big dinner. You got to be careful with things like vacuuming. It seems easy, but that takes a lot of core pushing that vacuum back and forth. So just one household task a day. It kind of sounds like Jen is making my to-do list for when you have your next baby. Well, frankly, it's just... It is just what we did last time. Yeah. Like, and, and I, and I will say I had a really horrible recovery, but, um, I was diagnosed at a year postpartum with pretty much all my, my symptoms were as a result of trauma. I had a third, almost fourth degree tear for anyone who doesn't know. Wow. They yeah. were, they were questioning if it was third or fourth, mm-hmm. um, for a little bit, by the way, the exams that you do to figure that out, 
not that fun. Um, (laughs) Yeah. At that point they had looked down there and just given me morphine. So uh, I was feeling okay. But, um, my, my actual recovery, the physical side of my recovery was really, really good. I have very little scar tissue, all things considered very, everything worked really, really well on the physical side. It's just all the, the, uh, traumatic stuff that is causing long-term symptoms, but I didn't get out of bed for six weeks. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of what they prescribed in the Bible. You know, that after you would give birth, you had this time that everybody took care of you. I had a waitress one time that was one week postpartum. I felt horrible that she was my waitress, but what could I do except give her a really good tip? But that was, you know, she shouldn't have been out there working. She should have been taking care of her baby. So I know that when you gave birth the first time I moved in and I did everything around the house and Connor took after, looked after the baby. Yeah. And that went on for a while. Yeah. And that is great when people have that. Yeah. Well, because I also had the complication. I had an, I had a rash too that was really itchy mm-hmm. over my whole body, so I couldn't like take care of the baby all the time because I was so I had to focus on not scratching and there was mm-hmm. a lot going on with with me. <laughs> um. So yeah, it was really it was a two person full time job to yeah. all my medical stuff and the baby <laughs> and the house. Yeah, and but but mentioned- that that was something where I was saying to my husband the other day where like if we hadn't had that support or if we hadn't made it a priority from even before I had a kid, I was planning on doing the one month in bed kind mm-hmm. of um, just bonding with baby stay. That was always the plan. Then when I, when I had a bad um, birth experience, we were so grateful that, that was already in the books. Yeah. Yes. And that's one of those things where we didn't have to pivot. We just mm-hmm. went with the plan. Yeah. Right. And then weeks five and six, you're kind of looking at, okay, what is the new normal going to become? And it's kind of like, you know, when you first got married and moved in together, you had to refigure out who's doing what household tasks. Well, bringing a baby into the family is going to mix everything up again. And you need to resort it out and figure out how you're going to do stuff. And like I said, that is for somebody who has a good recovery. If you have more trauma going on, if you've had a cesarean, you're going to expect to lengthen that timeline out a lot. And you mentioned, Rebecca, about there was emotional trauma that was impacting you. And so that goes back again to what I said about the emotions being so important that we need to do a better job of letting our female friends know if we know resources of therapists. And one of the things that I talk about in my classes too is pelvic floor physical therapy. In some countries, it is recommended for all women postpartum. It's not in America. I don't know about how it is in Canada, but I tell my clients, do not wait until you're still wetting yourself a year after giving birth. (laughs) You know, I say, if you feel like it, go ahead and ask for it at your six week postpartum visit, Mm -hmm. because it's going to take you three or four months to get in anyway. So you can always cancel the appointment if three months down the road, you realize, you know what, I don't really need this. Uh, but go ahead and ask for it because that's going to be helpful. I've had many clients who have pain months down the road that pelvic floor physical therapy can help with, that some emotional counseling can help with. That is really super important. Yeah. And I know um, I did pelvic floor physiotherapy before, right before I gave birth and also um, in around January. Um, so three months postpartum. And then I, I, I um, did it again and like a, like a year postpartum when I was still having issues because at January I was expecting to not have issues for very long and then, well, they were still around. Um, and I will say that for me, the biggest difference between my, my pelvic floor physiotherapist who I had, um, who was excellent back in Ottawa mm-hmm. before I gave birth and directly after, and the one I started seeing in, in Belleville, which is actually where I saw results, was mm-hmm. um, if you have had a traumatic birth, the best thing I can ever recommend is find a trauma-informed physiothera- pelvic floor physiotherapist. They're out there where mm-hmm. they don't only treat in terms of stretches mm-hmm. um, because they're like, the stretches aren't going to do anything if your body's fighting against it. And so finding a trauma-informed pelvic floor physiotherapist can make a huge difference too. And I don't know what's that like in, in the U.S., but I do know there are multiple, mm-hmm. even just in our small town here, Mm-hmm. who fit that. Um, cause a lot of people go into it because they know about this kind of, they deal with a lot of sexual assault victims. They deal with a lot of um, traumatic birth stories. And so if you can find one who can deal with not just you're too tight, let's make you less tight, for instance, in, in cases uh-huh. like mine, but instead it's let's figure out, you know, the trauma behind it and help mm-hmm. you sort through that as well. That can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So yes, just be picky is what I'm saying. Yes, definitely. Don't settle for the first if you're not clicking with them. Yeah. Okay. I want to go back to this like 
weeks one and two, you don't get out of bed, basically. Um, what if it's not your first child? What do you say then? It's still, it's harder when you're the mom. Okay. And I'm not hard and fast, like don't get out of bed. Like if that's what works for you, that's awesome. But you can also have muscle atrophy go on if you rest too much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but it is super hard sometimes for moms who already have kids to get the rest that they need and very common to jump back into being a mom too quick. And I actually did that after my sixth child was born because my husband's self-employed. So if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid. Everything went great with the birth. I had no tearing and, you know, it's my sixth. So I'm pro at this, right? And I almost had to be hospitalized two weeks after he was born because I was hemorrhaging. Um, and, and actually, truthfully, if I had been honest with my midwife about how much I was bleeding, she would have hospitalized me. And I say that, please don't, ladies, don't follow my example. I knew that she would hospitalize me. And that's why I was not honest with her because I'm like, who's going to take care of all these kids? And it was just any time I picked up my son in the car seat, that was too much weight for my core. So I would be bleeding shortly after that. So that's definitely something. And I see women all the time hauling around their kids in those car seats. It's terrible for your back. It's not good for your core immediately postpartum. I really strongly recommend that people minimize how much they're carrying those car seats around. Um, get a good carrier of some sort, you know, a soft carrier on your body. That is much better on your body than adding an extra 15 or 20 pounds with some mm -hmm. of these car seats that you're holding out from your body that just puts a lot more stress. One thing that I notice is that we're much better at helping first time moms. Oh yes. Than we are helping second and third and fourth time moms. But it seems to me really that the second and third and fourth time moms can need even more help. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cause it's very common to have a two-year-old who's like, Oh my gosh, where did mommy go for the past two days? And so mm -hmm. then when mommy comes home, they're really clingy and they you walk out of the room and they're crying and you're thinking, well, I'm not really supposed to lift this toddler up because I was told I'm not supposed to lift anything heavier than my newborn. So <laughs> yeah, you need more help, but we do tend to give more help to those first time moms. So for all the women listening to the podcast who are at a stage of your life that you can maybe give some time to women in your church who are having a baby, you can be such a blessing to go to a new mom's house for like three or four hours and do some laundry for her, wash her dishes and be someone for her to talk to. Mm -hmm. So many women have isolation because they don't have local family and yeah. they've got this new baby and they don't even have time to pick up the phone. With everything you've been talking about, Jen, with the, the physical requirements, with how much this does take out of women, how, how pregnancy and delivery are a labor of love that is all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it is a, a sacrifice women are making. How do you feel when you read the excerpts from things like sheet music that tell oh, postpartum women gosh. to give them a hand job? Um, does that count as a light household task? No, it, it, it's like a heavy household task. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's not. Um, and, and some women feel increase in libido after giving birth. So, I mean, that that's something I do want to say, like a woman shouldn't feel like there's something wrong with her. No, but, I have known women who wanted if, to start having sex three days afterwards because yeah, they, yeah, you know, for someone it also helped them feel like they were grownups and women again, and not just kind of a patient, mm -hmm. you know, and it you've made just them lost feel like 30 pounds, yes. <laughs> but no, like. No, if she, if, if this is too much physical stress, emotional stress, no, he can live really can. And if it, it's been discussed on your Facebook before, if a teenager who's running full of hormones can be expected to be celibate for years waiting to get married, then a married guy whose wife just had a baby or is pregnant, whatever does where they're at in the process can wait, you know, mm -hmm. and he can view that as a time that he is serving her 
and he gets to be the hands and feet of Christ in that yeah. way. Amen. Great. I just wanted to ask you that as we were wrapping up. <laughs> so Jen, I know that you don't just teach this in public. You have online courses too that, that people can take. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have an online childbirth series and it's a very interactive. It's not just that you're sitting and watching videos and getting them done. There's actually a Facebook group that goes with it so that you can interact on that Facebook group. And you will get prizes sent to you in the mail when you finish certain checkpoints. And uh, so it's a really great opportunity if you're looking for a childbirth class. And a lot of childbirth classes with COVID right now are not happening in person. So right. this is, I've been wanting to set up online classes for years and COVID pushed me to do it. Awesome. So we will put a link to that in the podcast description, the podcast post that goes along with this, the podcast notes. So you can find Jen Reedy. What's your website? where people can uh, find you. It's actually lehighvalleybaby.com or okay. I could send people to knittedinthewomb.com will work. That one's easier. Okay. Well, okay. we'll have those links in the podcast description as well for anyone who wants to check it out and uh, get to see what you're doing and uh, maybe join your club as well. Yes, that's wonderful. Okay. Thank so, you. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. This is so wonderful to meet you in real life after, after commenting back and forth on Facebook for years. <laughs> so good to see you and thank you for what you do. And hopefully there'll be fewer women who have traumatic births. Yes, including me. <laughs> the next you one, so hopefully. much for what you do. I mean, the research that you did was so intensive and I know it took you guys a long time. Um, and I think it's going to make huge changes. So keep awesome. plugging along no matter what the people are saying who disagree with you because you're doing a good thing. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was good to talk to you. Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. I think you liked a bit about how you get to just lie in bed for yeah. two weeks. Although I will say, <laughs> I will say that because I was forced to be bedridden for so much longer than most people are, mm -hmm. I found it very difficult. Yes. And Connor yes. had to kind of force me to be in bed. Yes. Because I was just feeling very antsy. Yeah. So, and sometimes despite our best intentions and our best preparation, things just don't always work out. And that's yep. where you just need to have grace for yourself. Yup. And so now for something completely different. Yes. We have a really fun, we're, we're trying to do more fun things on the mm -hmm. blog because we've been kind of like down lately. <laughs> so I have a really fun interview with Dan Purcell from the Intimately Us app about next week. I have a good friend of mine on the podcast today. This is Dan Purcell coming to us from Utah. Hi, Dan. Happy to be here. And I need to tell people, Dan was one of the last people that I saw before the world shut down. So <laughs> last, last fall, Dan had Keith and me down in Utah and you were a great host and we did a wonderful marriage event. And then all that came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Timing was great. We got Yeah. <laughs> I was in Utah and Nevada, which was state number 49 and 50 for me. So I got all 50 states on that trip. So that was exciting. But Dan, even though you did do the in-person marriage conference, which I know that you want to do again, um, once everything opens up again, you have also done so much online and with apps. And so why don't you tell us what is happening next Wednesday? Next Wednesday is June 9th and it's International Lovemaking Day. Yay! <laughs> so any excuse to get together is a good excuse, right? Right. And you have this amazing app, Intimately Us, which I've talked about. I will post our walkthrough of it and our review in the show notes for this so you can go take a look. But I thought, why don't you talk or tell us how you got started in this? Because you're just a computer guy. Yeah, kind of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now so, you do marriage conferences and sex apps and <laughs> yeah, all sorts of stuff. I I'm teaching a men's course. I have a podcast too. Anyway, the, uh, about international lovemaking day and intimately us though, it's also happens to be our birthday because we launched a year ago on June 9th. Right. So, and it's also falls on a Wednesday, you know, hump day this year. So we got to do something <laughs> to celebrate. So all of the premium features of the app are going to be free on June 9th and June 10th mm. as a gift mm. to the world, as a thank you, and just as a public service announcement reminder for everyone to take, take a little extra time to love your spouse, hold them close, 
and love them with your heart. And uh, you can use our app to guide you through that. You don't have to, but I, I really want to rid the world of mediocre love and mm -hmm. to, uh, yeah, take some time to be intentional that day. I love that. And, you know, I've met you, I've met your wife. You guys are so great. And you have a real passion for helping other couples discover like how great marriage can be and intimacy can be and even sex can be. And how did you ever get started in that? Great question. My wife and I both come from really good families. And like most conservative Christian homes, sex wasn't talked about very much. So when mm -hmm. we got married, it was all like, we so new to us, we, we didn't know. We, we knew the basics. We knew the basics <laughs> enough to have six children at least. So <laughs> and, uh, when my wife was pregnant with baby number six, I had happened to have had a conversation with a friend who opened up about his sex life to me. And um, it, it really like, this is a taboo topic. You just don't talk about sex like that. But he was really frank and I was blushing the whole time. And basically the premise of the conversation was like, hey, my, my wife says I need to step up my game in bed. She needs to be satisfied more. And that kind of got me a little self-conscious. So that home that night I went home and said to Emily, how am I as a lover? Are you satisfied in bed? Like, how, like how's our sex life? Because we really hadn't really had a deep conversation about that to that point. And which led to other conversations, which led to even deeper conversations. And we concluded, you know what? We really need to uh, spend some time and figure out sex better for us. And we didn't know where to go because you don't want to go online searching for stuff because yeah. we don't know what we'd find. So I read a blog post that recommended that you, you buy this great book called The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Mm -hmm. So we like <laughs> bought it that night and like Amazon, you know, two days later we get it and we started mm -hmm. reading it. And I, 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 I kind of, I think I binge read that whole book in one night. Like, oh, wow. And we fell asleep. I kept on reading. And then we bought another book, another book. And for us, all of a sudden, like this whole new world opened to us of how good sex can be and how mm -hmm. bonding and uniting it can be and how nourishing mm -hmm. it can be to our relationship. Like there's so much good that comes from sex and sex doesn't have to just be intercourse either. There's right. so much more to just like connecting and it's just experiencing pleasure together. And so like our, it's like the veils lifted from our eyes. Like <laughs> we see like a whole new possibility for us in our marriage and it really lit us on fire. And we're like, this is too good to keep to ourselves. We need to share this with others. And my background's in software development. I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur too. I'm like, there's nothing out there for couples that's mm -hmm. helpful when it comes to sex, at least on the app store. I look and it's all crass and raunchy and yeah. like stuff mm -hmm. you find out of Las Vegas. Or that's the impression I get at least. Yeah. And no judgment there. If that's your style, that's, that's just fine. But for us, mm -hmm. we're like, we want something that's not very vulgar, but also not lame either. Really helpful. So we, we, uh, we made this app called Intimately Us. And um, it is awesome. I got to tell people, okay, the way the app works, like my favorite parts of this is that it encourages you to have conversations with your spouse and ask like, which do you like better, A or B? Like, which is yeah. more fun, this or this? It gives you so many different ways of talking to your spouse about and telling your spouse without having to be embarrassed about what you actually want and like. And so you're discovering stuff about your spouse. And then as you're answering the questions, you start to realize stuff about yourself that you didn't know too, because like a lot of us, well, I don't know what I want. Like, I don't know what feels good. But then when you think about it and when you try different things, so it really, it's not about like trying weirder and weirder things. Like, sure, you can stretch the boundaries and all that, but it's really more about let's actually talk about this, but in a really fun way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, I believe intimacy, and I don't mean that as a euphemism for sex, intimacy mm -hmm. as like really knowing and being known mm -hmm. is through those conversations that you really get to know each other better on a deeper level. So like yeah. it really facilitates having a more intimate relationship. Yeah. And a lot of those conversations are taking place in the, in the context of really fun games. So <laughs> it's not like, it's not like you're sitting down to a cup of tea and saying, so how do you like it when I lick? Like, it's not like that. It's like, <laughs> this is really, it's really fun and it's really hot, but it's, it's like, you're learning about each other 
which is what's making it so much better because yes, it's, you're you're not saying I want great sex. You're saying I want to experience something amazing with you. It's like, it's, it's this, it's this couple thing, which I think is wonderful. So June 9th is international lovemaking day. Uh Uh-huh. And so everybody get your calendars out (laughs) and circle June 9th, maybe even plan something special and um, intimately us. The app has a few fun things you can do in the free version, but the premium version has so much more. And Dan is making that available to everybody on June 9th and 10th. So it's a great time to check that out and just have a really fun date night. And hopefully Dan, I will be able to come back to Utah one day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'd love to have you again. I'm planning speaking events in the UK and Australia and in the US again. So let me know if you'd like to have me, any of our listeners, and hopefully I can join Dan again in Utah. So thank you Great. for telling us Just about all this. For, for you, Sheila, if you're considering an event, Sheila and Keith are absolutely amazing. <laughs> They're funny. They connect well with the audience. They'll make you laugh. And the next moment, they make you cry. And just yeah. everyone walks away just edified and you just have this way about you that I don't know it's it's really special what you do it's really unique well thank you so much and it is good to talk to you again I love what you're doing with apps it's so great to have a safe resource that isn't gross to recommend that actually builds relationships and builds intimacy so check that out intimately us I will have the download links in the podcast post that goes along with this so thanks Dan (laughs) thank you Intimately Us really is a great app. Yeah, and Dan's really sweet. I've worked with him before as well. He's lovely. Yeah, Yeah. and he really is doing an amazing job by trying to put this stuff on an app and make it accessible for the next generation Mm -hmm. and where it really is building your relationship. So I love that. Yeah, and I know that their their goal is truly to provide people with with healthy information that's, you know, kind of different from the the status quo out Mm -hmm. there, which can actually cause harm. And they're really focused on mutuality and making sure that, you know, both members of the couple are just honored and cherished exactly. so i love that exactly and so speaking of both members and mutuality we have a reader question yes so this was actually part of a longer email and i just kind of condensed it into a few talking points that we could discuss but she said one thing that she wants to bring up is the equation that pleasure and sex equals orgasm she says that i talk a lot about how sex is more than just a physical experience but orgasm is a physical experience mm-hmm. And she says, I have had sex with my husband without orgasming, but have thoroughly enjoyed it because of the connection and intimacy that we experienced. While I do agree that orgasm is helpful and amazing to have a pleasurable experience during sex, it is also so much more than that. Also, another thing that rubs me a little the wrong way with this is the fact that rape victims, both men and women, can dissociate with their bodies and orgasm during rape. Mm -hmm. The idea that someone orgasmed during rape has been used to argue that the person consented to or even enjoyed it. Now, I might be reading it the wrong way, but statements like sex can't be pleasurable if she doesn't experience an orgasm bother her. Okay, so I just want to deal with the rape first. Yeah, uh, arousal non-concordance. Arousal non-concordance is definitely a thing. And what it means is when your brain and your body aren't operating together. Yeah, like you're you're being traumatized. You're not enjoying what is happening, but your body still responds. Yes, and and some researchers think that the heightened fight or flight response in your brain can actually cause your body to respond more. Yeah, you actually be more likely to respond physically if you're And if you're terrified. Yeah. And so just because you were aroused or had an orgasm does not mean that anyone consented. And it doesn't mean that you subliminally wanted it. Right. It doesn't mean that somewhere deep down you actually enjoyed it. No, it it, it may literally just mean that you were terrified Mm -hmm. and your body was just heightened as a Mm -hmm. result. And I want to say this for the men's side of the equation too, because so many people say, well, it's impossible for men to be raped because they need an erection to, Mm -hmm. in order to have sex. And so therefore, you know, they can't, but no, like again, arousal, non-concordance when your head is saying no, but your body is saying yes. And it's the head that matters. Yeah. (laughs) And also remember that, you know, rape and assault is far more about the emotional consequence of what has happened versus the physical yeah. Act. You can have sex the exact like and, and the exact same things happen mm-hmm. where you were consenting and it was with like the person you wanted to have sex with mm-hmm. and when you were raped. Mm-hmm. And the physical act is not what makes it rape or not. Right. It's about the consent. It's about the emotional side of it. So if you're a man and you were assaulted and yeah. your body responded and so you were physically able to have sex, 
Yeah. It's not that you wanted it. Yeah. Because it's not about what happened that makes it rape. Mm-hmm. It's about your response yeah. to it. Two resources that have treated this really well. The book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It's mm-hmm. a it's it's not a Christian book, but so many women talked about how helpful that book was on yeah. our survey about how to have an orgasm. And it talks a lot about arousal non-concordance. And the other one that's dealt with this so well is Law and Order Special Victims Unit. It actually has. <laughs> like, yeah. Yay, SBU. Yeah, Olivia Benson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and what's her name? The one with the long blonde hair? She's the... I remember her specifically talking about this. I don't remember. Um, Kelly someone. Anyway, yes. Good, like, depressing show, but sometimes I watch it just because, yeah, I want justice. So, yeah, exactly. There you go. Okay. Um, so that part of the letter, that's dealt with. But, but what she's saying, the bigger thing that I want to talk about is this idea that... You know, you shouldn't have to have an orgasm to enjoy sex. And we shouldn't talk about sex like orgasm is a prerequisite for pleasure. Yeah. And you know what? There are a lot of people that do enjoy sex, even though orgasm is difficult. And we're not mm-hmm. trying to take away from that. No. And I know that it's difficult for some people to reach orgasm. That's why we created the orgasm course. Yeah. Like we know that this is one of the biggest struggles people have. And if you've been struggling to have an orgasm for years and years and years mm-hmm. in your marriage, and you are finally at a point where you actually really enjoy sex, even though orgasm is still elusive, you're allowed to rejoice and celebrate yeah. in that. No, totally. Like, we don't. We don't want anyone to feel like there's something... The, the, like it's a pass fail thing no. but at the same time this is a really difficult it's a it's a balance right yeah. and i think one of the reasons we have such a huge orgasm gap is because we talk like this well orgasm isn't necessary imagine a man yeah try to tell your husband (laughs) that he should just enjoy sex even if you don't let him finish yeah Yeah. and there's no way he would Mm -hmm. and yet like one of the things you're always saying is like who's really the more sexual yeah well and that's that's my my thing is when we look at how women and men were created our sexual response cycles how our sexual organs are made how god designed men and women sexually men's sexuality has a cap Yes. They have a refractory period. You can only have so many orgasms in a 24-hour period. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. literally. And once you have one, you You can't have have one again for for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and some Mm -hmm. people can go again fast. Some people take a while. It also depends on the day. But it's never instantaneous. But that's exactly it. For men, it's not instantaneous. Whereas for women, there there is, like, science, from what I understand, has not found a cap. And we don't want to know how they figured out Oh, unfortunately, I know. Unfortunately, (laughs) I have read. read, She read all the... Holy moly. I just... Oh my goodness. Just, you know, we have a board of ethics for research and I don't know how these things get past it but yeah. anyway yeah for our orgasm course and for the great sex rescue Rebecca was the one doing the literature review of all the peer-reviewed journal articles yeah. so I would just be I would be like done work and I'd be like Connor I just need I just need to watch a gardening show I just... <laughs> no but, but um but what I'm saying is God did not make women's sexuality with a cap mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sexual experience is a cap whereas yeah. men's is yeah and so i i just don't understand why the conversation is that women don't need to have an orgasm to enjoy sex when god made women to have multiple orgasms when they enjoy sex yes that's just my my thing is what would happen as a culture (laughs) to our marriages and when if we went into marriage expecting that she is going to have more orgasms than he will because mm-hmm. that's how they're made. Right. She is made to have more orgasms than he does. Yes. And that is still a mutual marriage because they are enjoying sex together. Yes. You know, yeah. like that, it, what what would happen to women's sexuality if they get married and they start having sex, not in terms of now we're allowed to have intercourse, but in terms of, okay, now let's actually enjoy this. Like, mm-hmm. let's make sure it's good for both of us. Yeah. And one thing we said in the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which is the book that your dad and I just finished writing, yeah. which is weird, I know, because yeah. you're my daughter. Anyway, um, <laughs> is that the aim when you get married should not be let's go have intercourse. It mm-hmm. should be let's figure out how your wife's body works. Because if you can get this right at the beginning... Yeah, it makes it so much easier. It makes it so much easier. Because I think what happens is a lot of couples rush intercourse, never figure out the arousal piece, don't figure out the orgasm piece, and then they struggle because it feels like you're going backwards and she feels selfish if she needs foreplay. And you just get into these really weird dynamics. That's why I actually think we we can't talk about women's sexuality. Like, it's okay if she doesn't orgasm because then if they rush intercourse and she doesn't orgasm, they don't go back. 
Right. Right? They're like, well, it's okay because at least she feels loved. Yeah. At least she feels cherished. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And and I think we need to have different advice maybe to people who have been struggling to orgasm for like 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. um, Who, by the way, still can orgasm. Yes, like can. The advice is not, oh, well, I guess it's not for you. But like there there needs to be some nuance where there are going to be some people for whom it's just going to be more difficult. Yeah. Um, And we need to make sure they don't feel like a failure. But we also need to tell the couple who's been engaged for five weeks who's starting to do their premarital counseling or who's starting to think about having sex, mm-hmm. you know, when they're married, we need to give them a very different message where it's like, hey, like ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we understand this is a difficult thing. And, yeah. and oh, I also want to say a lot of women never reach orgasm during intercourse. Yeah. And, but and they that's can including reach, highly orgasmic women. Yes. They can reach orgasm in other ways, but never through intercourse. Yeah. And that's okay. There isn't, it's not like yeah. anyone's marking you. Okay. No. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's why we need to be able to equip young couples who are getting married. And by young couples, I don't mean like literally like the 21 year olds. I mean like couples where their relationship is young. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. They need to be equipped with actual understanding of female sexuality. Because I think that if couples understood how women's bodies worked and mm-hmm. how sex worked for women and how libido and sexual response and arousal is so tied in with the rest of a woman's life Mm -hmm. like women tend to be a little bit more holistically sexual yeah right in terms of what happened at work is actually more likely to impact how she feels in bed Mm -hmm. right what happened with the kids is more likely to impact whereas with men it is a little bit because their physical response is relatively yeah. straightforward. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and this has been shown in, in a lot of different research, right? And so if we are able to show couples from like day one to work with her sexuality versus just like, well, cross your fingers and hope she gets there, mm-hmm. then I just don't think that we would have such a big problem saying, yeah, well, sex without an orgasm isn't pleasurable in the yeah. same way that sex with an orgasm Yeah, is. and I, I just want to say, when people say sex is pleasurable, but I don't orgasm, there is a difference. If we, if we think of orgasm as 10 and non-arousal as zero. Mm -hmm. If you're consistently reaching a three, but that's about it, then Mm -hmm. you might think, well, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit of pleasure. It was nice. But if you're reaching an eight and never orgasming, that's actually physically uncomfortable. Yep. It's called, uh, someone told me on the blog, it's called pink beaning. (laughs) Yeah. No, because there's like blue balling for men and they call it pink beaning for women. (laughs) Like this is, this does, this actually. It actually actually, causes physical discomfort. Yeah. And and so. There's um, a reason it's called sexual frustration and not sexual, oh well. Yeah. (laughs) I think think when people are saying like, I can feel pleasure even if I don't reach orgasm, I wonder how aroused they're actually getting. Yeah. Or like there's people who are, it's like sometimes everything, because I I do know for a lot of women, it's like the stars align and orgasm is relatively easy or it's just kind of like yeah. not gonna happen yeah right and so I think that if you're one of those people who's kind of can get in the middle quite a bit it could be yeah. quite frustrating yeah right like if you're someone who will always get aroused but it's the getting over the edge that's difficult mm-hmm. I think this whole idea of sex can be pleasurable without orgasm is very frustrating on a yeah. whole different level because every time you have sex you're either you're finally gonna get there mm-hmm. or you're left hanging and like okay well he's asleep and now I'm totally wired I'm wide awake I'm yeah. feeling uncomfortable you know I'm kind of jittery yeah. and and yeah. I think yeah if, if you're one of those people where it's either you're just not really gonna respond at all and so you'd rather just feel loved and close and then mm-hmm. you know it's probably gonna work tomorrow yeah that's totally different yep. than someone who's consistently getting aroused being like maybe it's gonna happen nope yeah no and a lot of women in that situation have told us they've just stopped letting themselves get aroused. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's what's so hard about it. Yeah. So we need to be able to talk about this in a way that we don't want to shame people who are not orgasming 100% of the time. Yes. That's not it at all. But we do need to be able to talk about it as a church, even though it sounds very strange, I know, but we need to be able to talk about it as a church where her orgasm is not optional. Yeah. Because... Physically speaking, God did not create women's orgasm to be optional. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's even a reason. I mean, I know the whole, the, the, that childbirth and stuff can make stuff really difficult for women. And we just talked about that with Jen. But I mean, God did make the clitoris outside of all the area where childbirth happens. Yes. So even if childbirth makes everything difficult, she can still have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, there you go. There's a... <laughs> yeah. And again, we're not saying every single time, it's just women should be able to reach orgasm. And yeah. and then frankly, like we do know there are women who do reach orgasm every single time. And I do wonder how many women could be in that category if from day one, we've been told you're allowed to love your body. You're yeah. allowed to work with your body. And by mm-hmm. the way, here's how that works. Versus your whole life being told you have to fit into 
this kind and of if we and if we made the expectation that guys would figure this out early in yeah. marriage too before they figured out intercourse i also do want to say here's an interesting stat that joanna and i were talking about this week 36 percent of women who frequently reach orgasm do not feel emotionally connected during sex yes so it's not like orgasm is the end all and be all either no. like this woman said and there's a lot in her letter which i oh, agree with. totally agree it, like yeah. there's just a lot of nuance here right but orgasm isn't always the end all and be all either yes we do need to still feel close and need so both. what we're arguing like that's why our outcome variables in the great sex rescue were not only orgasm it was mm -hmm. also feeling emotionally connected during sex exactly because and, a lot of people yeah. in hookup culture are in hookup culture because sex always feels really great for them yeah. but it leaves them feeling but, empty yeah and we don't want that yeah you shouldn't be chasing the next high, whether you're at a club or in your marriage, right? right? It's about actual connection. Right. Okay, so as we wind up, I have some encouragement for you that you haven't heard yet. I haven't heard? Yeah, would oh. you like to hear some encouragement? Yeah, sure. Yeah. This one's about podcasts. Okay. Okay, so a woman wrote in, and by the way, we just like at the end, someone a couple of months ago said, sometimes you guys are depressing. Can you share happy stories? Yeah, we're so like, we've oh, been, you are preaching to the choir there. We've been sharing some encouragement. It's actually been fun for me every week to go and find these to share. Cause yeah. like, yay. And Tammy, Tammy, who goes through all my emails, puts them in a special place and it's my happy time. Yes. So here I'll share my happy time with you. Okay. okay. So here's a woman who said in February of this year, my sister-in-law posted the methadone episode of your podcast on Facebook. So that's the one where we were talking about how mm -hmm. women are not methadone for their husband's sex addictions. I listened to it and I couldn't believe I was hearing Christian speakers passionate about uplifting and empowering women. It's something my soul has been longing for for a very long time. I was hooked. Up until then, I found the secular world valued women more than Christian culture. I went back to episode one and have listened every day on the 30 minute drive to pick up my son from school, but not on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. That's fantastic. And if you like the podcast, please remember to rate it five stars and leave a little review. It just helps other people find our podcast as well. Just a quick one. I like this one about The Great Sex Rescue, our book that was out in February, based on that survey of 20,000 women. Mm -hmm. So she writes, as a Christian 54-year-old woman, I have spent years, no, decades, trying to overcome the likely unintended damage done by Christian teachings on sex and marriage. Either no one talks about it or it's talked about as a duty, like there's nothing in it for wives. I've been a fan of Sheila's books and blogs for years. This book is the most needed book of any book that has ever been written on <laughs> sex and marriage i think we should make that into like a quote for I the think, blog. I was gonna say, this book great. is it's the, the most, most needed book of any book that has ever been written on sex and marriage if you feel there should be something more to sex and want it to be better read this book if you need empowerment to overcome the misguided teachings of your past read this book if you want to make your marriage and sex life better read this book if you have any of the many christian books out there that made you feel like a terrible woman because you didn't just do your duty read this book god made sex for both husbands and wives to enjoy we all need to learn that and this book reminds us that god gives us permission yeah that's great and if you are want to learn that more next wednesday International Lovemaking Day. <laughs> Check out the Intimately Us app. Have some fun. Get the great sex rescue. Get good messages of sex in your head. And we hope you all can just grab each other and have some fun. There you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. 